may be seated. And if you would like to, turn your, in your Bibles to Psalm 126. We'll be looking at this psalm in our sermon here. This is one of the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, those psalms were uh, 120 through 134, 15 psalms that uh, the people of God would have sung as they approached the temple, as they're walking up to Jerusalem. And you could see the... Um, the, the Mount of Zion uh, in the distance, and as they made pilgrimage to worship, uh, they would sing in particular these psalms along the way. And uh, this particular one is a helpful reminder on where uh, joy comes from as we, uh, as we march onward in our lives. So Psalm 126, and I'm reading from the New King James Version here. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And there we're in the reading of God's word. May God bless his word to us as we think about it together this afternoon. Well, when I was uh, in graduate school uh, doing research and finding that very slow going uh, and challenging, in fact, I think I was two years working in a particular lab before I had uh, any kind of a positive result in my experiment. So um, the first time I had a, a really good result, and really was just the first step in what was going to be a long project, um, uh, I thought to myself, well, you know, you don't celebrate too much because, after all, I, I coached hockey for a long time, and I know you can lose the game at the end, so you, you never celebrate too early. And one of the older graduate students took me aside and said, you have to celebrate when something goes right because it's going to go wrong so much of the time. Having a clear memory of the fact that things went right once, that's going to keep you going when it's very difficult at times. And so uh, I thought that was an interesting lesson, and I think it applies in our spiritual lives as well because we are so often, hey, it's just time to get to the next thing. That's the way it was in the lab. Well, if you got one thing right, you just, that just means you can do the next experiment. And, and there was really no time to stop. And in life, it seems like that too. We, we hardly have time to stop and celebrate what's gone well before we're just thrown into the next thing. And the psalm here is helpful because what happens in the psalm is the people are called to reflect on an incredible thing that God did for them in the past and then that actually is the basis upon which they can cry out to God for help in the present and the basis upon which they can serve God faithfully in the present. And I think that can be really useful for us as we are at the end of a year and we're getting ready to start in the new year. And so what we're going to do, as we've done for years now, is at the last service of the year to spend some time reflecting on how God has answered our prayers in the past year, just to think about what God has done and let that be a basis for us as we start a new year. So the main point as we look at this, meditating on what God has done brings joy. That will give you hope as you approach the new year. 
And children, if you want to draw a picture for me, you might draw a picture of a farmer planting seeds. And we'll talk about that. It talks about the farmer's crying while he plants the seeds. Uh, but then later, he's going to have rejoicing. So listen and, uh, and see what we learn there. And there is an outline in the back and also a children's outline if you would like. Uh, the first thing I want us to notice here is that meditating on what God has done fosters an attitude of thankfulness and joy. The psalm is looking back on something of great importance to the Jewish people. Uh, the terrible pain of the exile in 586 BC when Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army came on Jerusalem, conquered it, destroyed the temple and the city, and took the people into captivity, and they were taken into Babylon. And then some years later, uh, the Babylonians were defeated by the Persians, and then under the, uh, the, the Persian king Cyrus, Cyrus issued a decree that the Jews could go back to Jerusalem and they could rebuild. And so uh, this is the idea uh, as, they, as they think back on this tremendous deliverance that they received. And so you recognize that they would be singing this psalm as they walked up to the temple and looking in the distance and seeing this temple that had been rebuilt after uh, the Babylonians had destroyed the original temple. And so th this was something to celebrate. They were actually experiencing the blessing that they had gotten from God. And so this is why they say in verse 1, when the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Uh, one commentator says this is the dream of delirious happiness and relief. Um, I, I know some of you are soccer fans here, some maybe not so much, but for some soccer fans, this last World Cup was uh, just like a fairy tale scenario because uh, this player, Lionel Messi, who had been one of the best players in the world for a couple of decades and had won just about everything there was to win except the World Cup, so probably this is his last opportunity in the World Cup. And so his team, Argentina, won the whole thing, and he scored several goals uh, in the final. And so for the Argentinians, this is like a dream. Uh, they're like walking uh, in their sleep. They're, they're so deliriously happy about it. And perhaps you can think of some things in your own life where you can hardly believe. I suppose if IU actually ever won another championship, we would know what that feels like uh, in, in Indiana. It's been so long, right? But this, this kind of just, uh, you can't believe it. It's such good news. Uh, verse 2 uh, says their mouths were filled with laughter. And uh, of course, you know, we like, we like to laugh and, and to have fun, but this is a kind of laughter that's coming out of this deep uh, just gratitude and thanksgiving for what God has done. And then verse 2 goes on to say that their, their tongues were full of singing. And so uh, their, their song, again, was an expression of this great gratitude when they thought about what God had done. And as they say there in verse 3, the Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. So you see how taking time to meditate on what God has actually done in your life produces joy and gratitude. If you're here this afternoon and you're a forgiven sinner and Jesus Christ has taken your sins upon himself and if he sent the Holy Spirit into your heart and changed your life and, and made you able to see so that you've embraced him, uh, you have something to celebrate. And uh, above, above that, you know, the Lord 
uh, calls us into families, calls us into a church family, gives us useful work. And the, the number of things, really wonderful things, almost as it says here, dreamlike things that the Lord has done should be a cause of great joy for us. That we ought to be able to say, the Lord has done great things for me, and I am glad. And uh, that's what they're doing. They're looking back in their history and seeing what God has done. And, and it's worth it for us to also meditate on what God has done. Secondly, we see also that this attitude of thankfulness and joy then can actually be a powerful witness to other people around about us. So in, in stanza or in verse two, uh, when he talks about the mouth of, of being full of laughter and the tongue with singing, singing, then it says at the end of that verse, then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Uh, this is interesting. In the old red psalm book, the way that's translated, the heathen are agreed. The Lord has done great things for them. Uh, I think in the newer translation, it's the nations uh, like it is here. But it's interesting, something, the idea of saying the heathen, right? This, the point is that the, the non-believers that witnessed what God had done for the Jewish people made even the non-believers say, God has done great things for them. And that's really an interesting concept. So you think about what they're talking about. I, I think it's probably unprecedented in the history of the world where one people group is taken away and dispersed within another people group. And after 70 years, that people group still has its own distinct identity and worship God in their own distinct way. I mean, it's, it's truly unprecedented historically for them to be preserved like that so that when they go back, uh, they actually go back and they rebuild the temple and they're far more faithful in some ways than they were before uh, after they come out. And even the unbelievers around them can notice this and give glory to God. And, and I think this is instructive to us that we ought to be living as people who do have something to celebrate. I know a lot of times Christians are tempted to be the ones acting like the world is going to end soon and that we're really good at pointing at all the things that are wrong and, and they are wrong and there's, there, there is a place for that. But in some ways... If we are all doom and gloom, it really undermines our witness to those around us uh, as those who have had great things done for them. And uh, Peter writes about this in 1 Peter 3.15. He says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And that verse is often used as a word, a word to us about being ready to uh, give a word of testimony. But the premise here is that people are asking you the reason for the hope that is in you. And if we live as hopeless people, people aren't going to be asking us what the hope is within us. And there's, so it's implied there that there's something about our lives that exude a certain hope, a certain joy in what God has actually done for us. And so this is, a, this is a good reminder to us that we want to be people uh, who, who praise God, who recognize his goodness to us, who reflect his glory back to him, who express gratitude openly, who, who pray for other people, even unbelievers, and let them know we're praying, that we are people who believe in the sufficiency of God, and, and we live openly about our faith, and that can have a tremendous impact 
on the people around us who do not know the Lord. I find it's always a temptation to sort of sanitize our speech. And if we just talk like we really think as Christians, even around non-believers, there's there's a message going out there. And I think that that can be very powerful, especially if you are working in a secular environment and surrounded by unbelievers, but you're still willing to say, if the Lord wills or thank the Lord that this happened, uh, people will notice that even if they never say anything to you. So an attitude of thankfulness and joy is a powerful witness. Thirdly, thankfulness for blessing in the past then promotes faith in God for the future. So in verse 4, there's actually a prayer, bring back our captivity, O Lord. And um, what seems to be indicated here is that um, their fortunes are down at, at, at the present time. So they're looking back at this amazing deliverance when God brought them back from captivity. Maybe they're looking around and seeing, well, you know, only a few thousand came back. This new temple is a lot smaller than the old temple. And so perhaps they're just down about the present state of affairs. But it seems like they're saying, in effect, God, you brought us back. Keep bringing us back more. Uh, Do more. And and so the image that's used in verse 4 is... Do this as the streams in the south, and some of the translations say in the desert. And so the imagery here is how the Lord can reverse the fortunes of his people very suddenly, like when the rain falls in the desert, and suddenly these dry creek beds are full of flowing water, and and flowers and other vegetation can come up literally overnight, and, and things can change really quickly. And so, in a sense, they're, they're asking the Lord to reverse their fortunes, to work as he had in the past, and to work suddenly uh, to revor- reverse their fortunes. Uh, commentator Derek Kidner says, Memory, so far from slipping into nostalgia, now gives the impetus to hope. And that's a helpful idea, right? The, our memory isn't there just so that we can sit around and and reminisce about the good old days, which is what we're often prone to doing. But to actually say to ourselves, yes, the God who worked in the past is the same God, and we trust him to work in the present. And so uh, we cry out to him, we pray to him. Uh, Now, you children, you know that your parents would do anything they could for you, and uh, anything good for you, right? Sometimes you want things that aren't good for you, but anything good that they can do for you, your parents are going to do whatever they can. And, um, and that actually gives you confidence to ask your parents. Um, I, I know all of you pretty well, and I think all of you feel pretty comfortable asking your parents for help or for certain things that you want. And you know, maybe sometimes they'll say no, but you know your parents love you and that they will do what they can. And that encourages you to ask them. And that's sort of what the psalm is doing. It's saying, you know this God. This is not a stranger to you. You know what he's done for you in the past. So yes, with confidence, you can come before him and know that he will do what is right uh, for you in this certain situation. And that's one of the reasons why we're going to kind of go back over some of the things we've asked uh, God to help us with over this last year, just to remind ourselves the many things that the Lord has done for us. Uh, Because thankfulness for God's work in the past encourages you to pray in the presence. In the present, sorry. Furthermore, confidence in God frees you to diligent, hopeful work. 
We see this in verses 5 and 6. So the psalm ends with this agricultural picture. Uh, Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing. So the picture, children, here's the farmer going out and he's spreading his uh, seed on the field. And so why is he crying when he does this? Well, you realize uh, the, the grain is what you could eat. And so you're, instead of eating it, you're going to throw it on the ground. And so there's a great uh, danger there, right? Because there's all kinds of things that you cannot control that may happen, right? Drought or marauders coming in or locusts or lightning or something that sets the field on fire. So all kinds of things could prevent you from getting a crop back. And you could put that seed on the ground and now you don't have anything to eat and you've put it all on the ground and there's nothing new growing. So in a sense, the, the, um, the farmer goes out uh, and it is a risky proposition and, and the point here, I think, is in contrast to what is the image of verse 4, right? He, they say, Lord, Lord, send back your captives like the rain that comes in the desert. So that, that's a sudden reversal. God sometimes works suddenly like that. But sometimes God doesn't work suddenly like that. He works through your diligent, hopeful labor, Right? Sometimes that's how God does it. Sometimes you have to go out. And the, and the psalm says, continually, this farmer keeps doing, he keeps going out in tears, sowing his seed, hoping that something will grow. And, and this is a call to us to live as those who diligently obey and serve as we wait for him to work in his own time and his own way. And, and of course, the psalm ends by emphasizing that this isn't crazy to do this. We should do this in hope because it says that he who continually goes forth weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And some of the translations say he will surely, he will absolutely come again and he will have the crop in due time, and he will have great cause for rejoicing because working diligently to serve this God, the one who's delivered you in the past, is a winning proposition. You can trust him, and you can invest, and you can be diligent, and you can trust that he is going to work. And this is a great reminder to how we have to live our lives. Sometimes we have to go out in tears seemingly continually doing what is hard while we wait upon God to work. We have to keep praying for that unbelieving relative that seems to show no signs of interest in the Lord. We have to keep loving that difficult child, and we just have to keep loving and loving. We have to keep showing kindness to that impossible neighbor that lives by us or the difficult coworker. We have to keep sowing, continually sowing in tears, but doing so confident that we will come back again rejoicing in due time. It may take time for God to reverse the situation you're concerned about, but God promises he will do that eventually. And you can look at the past in your life and have confidence 
that this God will work. So confidence in God frees you to diligent, hopeful work in the present. And God then finally assures you that you will have joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. So this psalm is about people having joy, the people of God in particular, having joy after hardship. And the reason we can be confident that that will happen in our lives is because of the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus came and sowed in tears and sorrow. He faced opposition and lies and slander for his entire life. At the moment he's born, there's King Herod trying to kill him and his family having to flee. There are the religious leaders plotting against him the entire time of his public ministry. There is his own close friend betraying him and turning him over to be uh, unjustly accused and tried and killed. And Jesus goes to the cross. He goes to the grave in tears. But on Sunday morning, joy follows. Joy follows. Matthew 28, 8, when they saw that Jesus was alive, quickly they went out from the tomb with fear and great joy. That was the response when Jesus had risen again from the dead. Jesus himself said in John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is why the Lord came. Jesus was the seed sown in tears who brought about a great harvest of joy. He said in John 12, 24 about himself, most assuredly I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. And Jesus goes on there to compare his ministry to a baby being born. And he says there's sorrow and there's pain in the labor, but there's joy when the baby arrives. And some of our families know we have one family waiting for, the, for the, the tears to give way to joy. We have another family just having experienced this joy. And that's what Jesus uses as an image of, of, of life, his life and the life of those who would follow him. And that's the great promise for you if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ is that there will be joy. Uh, Jesus, in a parable in Matthew 25, 23, he tells this parable about the good and faithful servant. And he says, uh, the Lord says to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. That's Jesus inviting you, if you've put your faith in him, to have confidence that joy will be the final state. We might not have all these things reversed in this life. Some we certainly will. But God promises that everything that's not right in your life will be reversed when you go to be with the Lord. And knowing that can give you tremendous confidence in diligently serving him now. So meditating on what God has done brings joy, and that joy gives you hope as you go into a new year seeking to serve the Lord. Uh, Let's pray and we'll ask him to apply these things to our hearts.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful little psalm uh, that uses uh, some pictures from uh, your people and uh, their experiences in the past. And we pray you'd help us to apply these things in our own lives, to be reminded, uh, Lord, that you have reversed our fortunes. You have taken us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the domain of the kingdom of your Son, the domain of light. And we thank you, Lord, that because you have done that, we can have complete confidence in you. And we pray for your help, Lord, to be those who live as hopeful people, We pray you would help us to cultivate an attitude of thankfulness and joy, and we pray, Lord, that you would enable us to be diligent as we uh, go about our lives sowing in tears, but looking to reap with joy according to your great promises with the confidence that we will most certainly, if we are in Jesus, um, uh, have a final abundance of joy in him. And we pray that you would help us to apply these things, even in this coming week and throughout the year. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's uh, sing in response to God's word. We'll sing this psalm that we've just uh, been thinking about, Psalm 126. We'll sing Selection A, being reminded that uh, the, the reaper comes with joy after the sowing. Let's stand and we'll sing 126, Selection A.